0: the final Sunday. More importantly than all of that, it is the final Sunday of 2020. And last week, the Washington Post put out a survey to its readers and it asked them to describe the year in one word or one phrase. Come on, somebody. That's a little dangerous, right? I just want to pull that out there. But it is G-rated this morning. All right, everybody, we are in church. So I don't know what you guys are thinking, what you would have written, but I wrote down some of the top things that they took from their readers Top word or phrase that they described the year with. And if they got multiples, they moved those a little higher in the list. Uh, and then they just put some of the phrases and things. So I thought some of these were fun. I thought some of these were poignant. So I just want to throw them up there as we get started. The first one, top of the list this year, was exhausting. Come on. You can make a little noise if you decide that's your word or phrase, all right? If you if you want to jump on one of these, you can just kind of raise your hand uh, or get involved in those. But they went through that exhausting, lost, chaotic some of you agree with some of these some of you experience some of these i like this the first phrase that showed up was a television show that never knows when to end come on somebody <laughs> just just doesn't know when it's its time right 6 6 seasons in a movie just get on out of here doesn't know. number 6 on the list i like this one dumpster fire come on somebody anybody want to put their... Put their name on that one. And here's my favorite one nine-year-old from Michigan wrote in. It's like looking both ways before crossing the street and then getting hit by a submarine. <laughs> Come on. I think we all put on vote on that one, right? Everybody want to jump on the wagon for that one. But then I saw one about a third of the way down the page. And it honestly helped inspire this final Sunday of our Again series. And all it said and somebody they said so many people had written this in, but all it said was "Broken dreams." Yeah. Yeah. Broken dreams." And I don't know what you dream for 2020. I want to show you a picture. Uh, we took this this morning. This hangs in my office. and so I don't know what you dream for 2020, but at the beginning of 2020, in January, in my office, I hung up a big year calendar. And all of the pastors on staff and all the ministry leaders, everybody, we all met together for three weeks, everybody. Not this manby-pamby one day, two days. Three weeks we met together, almost every day. And they all brought their calendars and all their events and things. And we planned the entire year. Come on, how many know that's a good idea? We planned the entire year, every gathering, every service, every ministry opportunity, every outreach, everything that we would do as a church for 2020, we planned. And then we put it in our shared Google calendar, so you know it's official, right? So you know that everybody can access it. And then I hung it on my wall with staples, so you know it's official, right? And a little piece of tape up there in the corner, you could see. And so I hung this thing, right? This was going to be the year for our church. This were the main events, the main things that we were going to do. And somewhere in March, I don't know, somewhere <laughs> about here, pfft, just all of it. just all. And I kept it up in my office, not in some stubborn way. I just thought it was funny. I just thought throughout the year, every time I prepared for a sermon or every time we were getting ready for whatever it is we were going to do, I would see this thing. I'd pass by it every day. I would look at this thing because I just thought it was funny. I thought it was funny to see the year all planned out because I never plan. If you know me, I am not a planner. But this year I did. So I just think God has a sense of humor on the thing. But I started to think about some of the things that we've walked through this year. When I saw that thing in the Washington Post this week, and again, when I walked past this, I just kind of laughed because these are just ruined events. But when I started to think about actual broken dreams this year, things that we walked through as a church, things that maybe you walked through as a family, things that we went through, tragedies and heartbreaks and trials and the things that came against us. And I thought about this idea that so many people had written in about broken dreams, that the dreams they'd had for the year or maybe even not just this year, but maybe you had a dream years ago. And somewhere along the journey, somewhere along the things that you walked through, somewhere around all of it, it started to break apart. Or you started to lose hope for it. Or you started to even lose the vision of it. Or you just put it in a drawer somewhere and you said that thing is never going to happen. And you left it behind. Broken dreams. And I just want you to know there is no better time than a new year. There is no better time to take a hold again of the dream that God has given you. Because I believe it's time for the church to begin to dream again. That it's time for us as believers to hold on to the promise that our God is greater than any circumstance, that our God is greater than any trial, that our God is greater than any of that, and that His promises can still come to pass. That His dreams for our life can still happen, even though what we walk through, even though the things we came out of, even though the things that we lost, but God still has a purpose for us. And Ephesians says that He can still accomplish something infinitely more than we can ask or think. That no matter what it was that we went through, that God can still accomplish things in our life. And so today is dedicated to those of us who have dreamed in the past. And then throughout whatever it is that we went through, we've lost sight of the dream. Or We've lost hold of the vision that God put into our life, the promise that God made. And maybe even given up on the dream that God gave us. And the devil will do everything that he can to make you enter the new year in the same way. To make you enter the new year with that same downtrodden, that same idea of there is no dream and it's dead. The devil will do everything he can because he knows if he can steal your dream, he can sabotage your destiny. If he can steal the dream that God has put into your life, he can sabotage the destiny that you're supposed to accomplish for the kingdom. If he can just get you to lose sight of it or to let go of it because everything around you is trying to pull you away from the dream that God has. And too many of us have given up on dreaming, You had a dream for what your life could look like. Or maybe what the opportunities would be like. Or maybe where your career would be. Or the relationships. You had a dream for what those would look like. Or a ministry that you wanted to start and be a part of. Somewhere along the way, the devil steals the dream. Somewhere along the way, he steals it. Or the world beats it out of you. Circumstances in life tell you, it's not possible. You'll never be that again. You'll never be able to get back to that place again. Or you've been through too much pain or too much heartache Or too much tragedy or maybe you made too many mistakes. I want to remind you of the God that we serve. That you may have given up on the dream but God hasn't given up on you. That you may have given up on what you thought might could have happened. Or you may have given up on what you felt God was telling you your life was going to look like. But God has not given up on you. I don't care if people give up on you. I don't care if they write you off. I don't care what they say behind your back. I don't care about any of that. God has not given up on you. God still loves you. His dream is still alive for you. He still has things for you to accomplish this side of heaven, that the kingdom is still advancing. So God has his eye on you. And so today we're going to dream again. All right, everybody, we're going to follow a story in the book of Genesis, a guy named Abraham. And we're going to follow his story through a few chapters of Genesis. And we're going to start in chapter 15, but I'll set up the story before we go there. And so we're going to talk about how God put a dream inside his heart and then he wrestles with the dream. And over periods of years, decades, he wrestles to keep the dream alive. He struggles with it. And so I'll set up the story. We'll see why he actually struggles along the way. And I'm just praying that some of you relate to him today, that you relate to his journey, because we call him the father of faith. But in parts of the journey, he was anything but. In parts of the journey. And so I just want to encourage you about this father of faith and some of the struggles that he went through, that we can see if the promise of God in our life that we can hold fast to it. No matter what the circumstances of life look at today. So I'll set up the story. Abraham's this extraordinary guy. And God speaks to him and he says, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through you. It's going to be an incredible, Abram. You're going to do all these great things. God brings the promise to him. But in order for it to come to pass, Abraham, you're going to have to leave your comfort. You're going to have to leave your family, leave all the things that you've known. And travel to a land that you don't even know anything about. I'm going to lead you there. And so Abraham takes this first step of faith. He believes the dream God gave him and he sets out on this journey and he takes his nephew Lot with him. And so Lot goes along with him. They're traveling along the way and God begins to bless Abram even on the journey. Even on the journey, God begins to bless Abram, begins to shower him with blessings. And so their their families grow too large and their possessions get to be too many where Lot and Abram have to split. They can't dwell next to each other anymore because all their animals are eating all the grass and they get mad at each other. And so Lot has to split. Abraham lets him kind of choose. And Lot makes makes a terrible decision. uh, And he settles his family next to this sinful city called Sodom. Settles outside of the gates. And somewhere in the course of time, Sodom joins with four other nations. They get this alliance going. And they go to war with an alliance of four nations. So it's five nations, right, and four attacking each other. And so Lot gets caught up in the middle of this. And it's almost like a world war. You have nine nations going to war. And the four nations that come against Sodom and their alliance, they are victorious, and so they take them over. They take all the spoils, they take Lot captive, everybody, and they take them off into captivity. Well, Abraham gets wind of this. He gets wind that this has happened to Lot. And he takes, the Bible says, he takes 318 guys and goes after them. Now, honestly, I've always skipped over this story. I've kind of read it, but I haven't really realized exactly what Abram does in this situation. It's incredible. He takes 318 guys. And goes to war against the four nations. Like if you're doing the math, this is a bad idea, alright? This isn't a trick question. This is not This is just a bad idea. But he goes after him, and God gives him the victory. It's, it's like this quick two sentence like story in your Bible. But 318 guys against four nations who are at war. Tens of thousands of soldiers. And Abraham and his 318 guys rout them. They take them all over, alright? God gives him the victory. He gets lot. He gets all the spoils back. He heads back to his home. And it's incredible when he arrives home, Abraham, it says that the first thing he does is he gives an offering. He gives an offering to the Lord saying, you're the one who gave the victory, not me, right? Not my 300 guys. So the Bible says he ties to Melchizedek, the high priest there, gives the offering to God and he blesses the Lord. And then God comes to him and appears to him after all of this has happened and gives him the promise that we know of. He's had this miracle. He's left his homeland. He's had these blessings. He's gone out and routed the armies. All of this has happened. He's given this offering to the Lord and then God appears to him and he gives him this promise in Genesis chapter 15. So now you know kind of where we are in the story. And he comes to him and he says, Abram, I'm going to bless you. Abram, I'm going to bless you and you're you're going to be the father of a great nation and it's going to be the multitude and Abram's response, after all he's seen, all he's done, everything he's seen the Lord do, all the things he's been called to, the promise, he says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. Now, just a pause right there. Anybody ever feel sorry for Eleazar of Damascus? All right. Because if you know how the story ends, Eleazar doesn't get nothing. All right. He gets nothing in the story. But that one's for free. All right, everybody. I just feel a little sorry. For Eleazar, we don't hear about him again, but he says he's the one who will inherit and you've given me no heir. And so the servant will gain. And then the word of the Lord came to him. Watch this in the next verse. This man will not be your heir. Again, we feel sorry for Eleazar of Damascus, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he takes him outside and says to Abram, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. It's given him the promise. He's already promised him these great things. He's already blessed him, but he's giving him the promise. Count the stars if you can. And he said, so shall your offspring be. And I pray that all of us have a moment like this. A moment in your life, maybe when you were a child or maybe driving in your car, or maybe in worship in God's house, or maybe in a time of devotion in your quiet place, maybe anything like that. I pray we all have a moment like this. That you get a picture in your mind of what your life could be. Of what God is calling you to do. Of what God is promising to you. A moment that you have where the dream comes. All of us have that moment where God comes to you. And I pray that's true for you. That God would reveal to you a picture of what it could be. Of how life could be. Because you see maybe a marriage that doesn't have the tension. Or the fighting like the home that you grew up in. Or a husband and wife that are serving God together and you think it could be beautiful. Or you have a picture of your kids serving the Lord or of God blessing you with this dream of blessing others. Not for your own purposes, but you have this dream of building a business so you can bless other people. You have this dream of doing great so you can also bless the people around you that God has called you to. Or maybe God has put a dream in your life of a ministry to start or to be a part of that you could say, I I can see a picture of what it could be. And this dream that he's having, you have these dreams that God gives you. God gives you these pictures of how it could be. Here's the biggest problem with that. You can jot it down if you're taking notes today. Is There's always a gap between the picture and the promise. There's always a gap. And the biggest problem for most of us today, in fact, I would say for all of us, is not dreaming the dream that God gave us. It's not having this idea or this picture. It's not keeping that in the forefront of our mind. It's living between the dream and when we actually see the dream materialize. What do we do in the gap? What do we do between the picture of what God gave us and actually seeing it come to pass in our life in this gap? And I think that's where our faith gets its attacked. I think that's where our faith comes under the greatest fire. is when we're in the gap between the picture and the promise. The picture and the dream coming to pass is where we get shipwrecked. And so a couple of things in Abram's story, if you go to chapter 16... That we see, it says, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. First thing, jot it down if you're taking notes, that kills the dream is unfulfilled expectations. And so many of us have had those in our life, unfulfilled. It's amazing how when we have the dream and we start to put it into motion, but then the plan isn't fulfilled. And so we get, when we see the dream, we start to put it into motion in our own minds, our plans to fulfill it. Because we have unfulfilled expectations on the picture that God gave us. And so we start to put into motion. And so suddenly you're dreaming about something in life. And so you're saying, okay, it could happen in this timing. And maybe it'll happen when I'm this many years old. And maybe I'll be living there. And it'll go down with these friends. And we start to lay out the parameters of how God's plan will come to pass in our life. And it never works out that way. And sometimes things happen that we wish never would have happened and we see things start to unfold That we say, well, God, I don't agree with that timing or with that timeline or God, I really wish that hadn't have happened or God, I really wish I didn't have to walk through that. And all these things begin to go and we start to see our plans fall apart. And I want to remind you of why it is. And so many times this is an encouraging verse, but sometimes it's a correcting one. And I want to show you, we've read it a few times this year out of Isaiah that God Has a better thought. It says as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God has a better play. That he's running in your life. God has a better play. And oftentimes, though we get frustrated with the timing. We get frustrated with the process. We think well maybe God's not even moving at all. Maybe he gave me the dream or the picture. But he's not actually going to come and fulfill it. We have unfulfilled expectations. And people let us down and people turn out on us and people walk out on us. And we begin to have unfilled expectations. And we say, well, maybe even God won't come through. And so in verse one, this couple is frustrated. They had no children, but she has this Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she comes to Abraham and she says, the Lord has kept me from having children. But look, here's my servant Hagar. Watch this in the next verse. She says, but go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family Through her, and Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Listen, everybody, you're not reading this wrong. This is a bad idea, all right? I'm just going, this is not a trick question again. This is a bad idea. This is bad leadership of his home. This is bad, in all ways, this is bad for Abram to do this, all right? But lo and behold, just shocking, right? Abram sows a lot of pain and chaos and confusion into his home because he agrees to this plan. Because he tries to step out and fulfill the promise of God on his own. He brings all of this chaos to himself. Here's the thing, jot it down if you're taking notes. We say when we do this kind of stuff that we're trying to help God, but really we're trying to be God. When we try to fulfill the promise on our own, we say we're trying to help God, but really we just want to be God. Some of y'all need to let that sink in a little bit, all right? It's going to get quiet on this last Sunday. We do have to trust. We do have to trust in his plan, but we don't have to carry it. And some of y'all got the picture from God, and now you're trying to carry it on your own. You're trying to make it come about by your own plans and your own devices, trying to be God. And sometimes we try to step in and force God's plan. We try to force his hand. We try to accelerate the timeline because we're not happy with the thoughts and the plans that he has. And so we try to accelerate. And What ends up happening is we make a mess of our lives, and we make a mess of God's plan. And I'm convinced that we convince ourselves it's just because God's not going to come through. We convince ourselves with this idea that God gave the picture. And I'm telling you, it's better. We say, well, I better get in and try to make sure that it happens. And we start to try to play God. We start to try to manipulate the circumstances and move our opportunities and relationships and all these things. We try to play God in our lives. It's what happens with Abraham and Sarah. And it shows chaos into their lives. So it's chaos into their times. And some of you are in that place where you're forcing relationships, you're forcing ministries, you're forcing opportunities, investments, you're forcing all of these timelines trying to make the play happen on your own. And you're saying, why is it so hard and why is nothing happening? Why is there no blessing? Why is God not in this? It's because God's not in this. I don't have to research the Greek word of that. It's just pain and apparent that if God's not in it, it's not going forward. That you're going to sow pain and chaos. There's always a gap between when he gives the dream and when God fulfills it. Then that gap is there for a reason. We're going to see this in Abraham's life. Because I believe we need to change our expectations. If we have unfulfilled expectations in our lives, we need to change them. We don't need to change our God to meet our expectations. We need to change our expectations to meet our God. We need to align with his will for our life. Because he has a better plan. He has a better way. He can bring light out of darkness. He can shine it in every area of your life. He can heal what was broken. He can bring you back out. But we have to be committed to his plan. Have to be committed to his process. And I just want to encourage those of you who maybe you've fallen off the bandwagon. Maybe you tried to force something. Or maybe you saw it's so chaos and destruction in your life. And maybe you saw these things happen. You saw like Abram. You saw all of this. Because Abram now has this illegitimate child in his life, Ishmael. Not the one that God promised, but now he has this in his life. And so he's starting He's starting to think that maybe the promise isn't going to come. That maybe I forced the hand of God and he slept with Hagar and maybe, maybe I've messed this thing up. And it's like, well, God can't use me anymore. That maybe I broke this promise. And so God comes to him and he thinks, Abraham's thinking, I had the right plan, but I went my own way and now I'm broken. And the devil may be trying to seed that in your life as well trying to whisper into your ear that God can never love a person like you or that God could never use a person like you or that maybe you're damaged goods and that God could never never bring the promise again. I just want you to know and I want you to see from his story how God says, I'm greater than anything that you've experienced because if people give up on you, if people leave you for dead, if people say, well, there's no way that person's ever coming back, I'm just moving on. All of that happened to you. I want you to know that God has a plan for you. That God's eyes are still on you, that God still loves you, that God can still use a person like you. And I want you to see it from Abraham's story. Because God comes and he doesn't come and condemn Abraham. He comes and he refreshes the promise. I want you to see this because he still has a plan for your life. Ephesians That he still has good works he created you to do. Genesis chapter 17, God comes again. He comes to Abraham. And he says, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. He even grows the promise. Not father of a nation, right? Father of many nations now. And in verse 17, the Bible says, Abraham falls down on his face. After God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to bring you back. I'm refreshing and renewing the promise. Even after you tried to do it on your own. I'm renewing the promise. Verse 17, the Bible says, Abraham fell face down and he laughed. Come on. Here's our father of faith, everybody. Here's the father. He's had the promise. He's messed it up. God's come, renewed the promise. And Abraham falls on his face and laughs. And he says, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? And will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? The second thing that kills our dreams is unrelenting doubt. Here's the father of faith. How much more us When we hear that promise God has for our lives, some of you this morning, you're hearing me say God has a promise for you, that God has incredible things for you to do for the kingdom. And you might not be falling on your face, but inside you're laughing. Inside you're saying God could never use a person like me. You can say that to everybody else in this room, everybody online, but God could never have a plan for a person like me. And this unrelenting doubt begins to work up that I don't see how it's going to work. I don't understand what God is doing. I have these unfulfilled expectations and I've seen them crumble in my life and so there's no way God could use me. I just want to remind you, it's time for the church, it's time for us to begin to dream again. That God is coming to renew the promise that He has things for your life to do for the kingdom. That He has things for you to accomplish in the kingdom of God. That He's still holding that promise out to you. So I turn church to reach out and to take it, to begin to dream again. Because But we're looking around at all these things and we have this doubt on the inside of us. The devil loves to get us focused on the natural. He loves to get your eyes off of the supernatural that God can do because we have so many examples of the God that we serve. But the devil wants to get your eyes off of that and onto the natural around you, the circumstances around you. Instead of focusing on the power of God, we focus on all the things that are happening to us and we have this doubt. And the Bible says the life of faith cannot be lived this way. In James, he talks about this, chapter 1, verse 6. He says, but when you pray and when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Come on, somebody. This is 21 days of prayers coming up in January. I think we need to take this verse to heart. That person should not expect to receive anything. Such a person is double-minded. And unstable in all they do. Double-minded and unstable. Double-minded and unstable probably defines half the body of Christ. Alright, everybody? Because we get into this lifestyle that begins to live this this life or this outlook or this perspective of, I'm going to live in the natural, but then I'm also going to live in the promise of God. I'm going to live my life in the natural, but then I'm also sometimes going to live in the promise of God. And the Bible says you can't live in both streams. You can't try to live because you're... You're double-minded and unstable when you try to live in both streams of life. Here's a picture of what it looks like uh, probably in our life of faith and as Christians. So many times the life of faith says on Sunday morning, right, I'm going to live for God. Like I experienced the presence of God in worship and I just, I like that one point the preacher said. And so I'm just feeling encouraged and this thing is going to be awesome and we're going to live for God. And I am a world changer. God has changed me and I'm going to do this thing Sunday afternoon. This thing is going to be great. We're going to accomplish things for the kingdom. Come on, I'm an army. We're going to take the wall Tuesday morning. We're like, it will never happen. I will never be free from this thing, right? This promises will never come to pass. I will always cuss by Tuesday and Wednesday. I will always be done. And then we get back in church on Sunday. We're like, praise God. I am the head and not the tail. I'm going to take this world for Christ. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do it. And then Tuesday, we're like, I am just the worst of the worst. And we live in both streams. And the Bible says double-minded and unstable. Because we we are believing God for life, but we are speaking death. We are speaking death over our circuits. I'm just saying you can't say all the time that my marriage will never be what I thought it could be. And my kids will never serve the Lord. And my career will never take off. And that ministry will never come to pass in my life. And God never has a plan for me. You can't say those things and expect the opposite to happen. James talks about the tongue as being the rudder of the ship. I'm not saying you name it and claim it. I'm saying if the rudder is pointed towards the rocks, you will hit the rocks every single time. Because God has a plan for your life, but you can't live in both streams. You can't be double-minded and live the life of faith. You can't be double-minded and unstable and live in the promises of God. You know, I need to learn how to live lives of faith that I know His promises are for me. That I know that God has a plan for me. That I know that the victory was won at the cross of Calvary and that no weapon formed against me will prosper. That I know that I have plans that God has for me to accomplish. Good works He created for me to do, Ephesians says. I know that I'm supposed to accomplish those things. And so I'm going to stand and I'm going to live my life in the stream of the promise of God. That I'm not going to let this, the natural and the circumstances, try to beat it out of me. That God's going to use my life. That I'm just going to hold tight. I'm going to believe and I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust that God is who he says he is. And so many of us, man, we wrestle with these doubts. And I just want you to know it's sabotaging the dream. It's killing the dream that God has for your life. So God appears to him and he gives him the dream and they mess it up. And then he reappears and he gives him this confirmation and he redoes the dream because years go by. And he says, hey, I have a plan for you. And then he even changes their names. He says, you're not going to be Abram and Sarah. You'll be Abraham and Sarah. God's got a plan for your life. But they're still struggling to believe. They're still right. This is the mother and the father of faith. This is this. They're still struggling to believe. They're still struggling to even hold on to what God would say to them. And so God is so good in this story a third time. Now he sends angels to confirm the promise. And so three travelers show up in Genesis chapter 18. We'll keep on going. And one of them says to him in verse 10, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughs this time. Abraham laughed right last time. Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? How many know a hundred-year-old should not be having kids? All right, that's just a good principle. jot that down if you want in your notes. That's a pretty good principle in life. But some of us, our faith is shipwrecked because of what we're looking at seems to be unchangeable circumstances. This is what Sarah comes up against, right? Abraham's experienced the other two, but Sarah now is up these unchangeable circumstances. Isn't it true in our minds with the expectations that we develop for God? We have these expectations. One of the things that comes to fuel the doubt is our circumstances. The things that we see around us, the things that we think are unchangeable, the things that we think will always be because they've always been. The things that we say, well, that's just always going to be like that in my life. And one of the things I've observed about God, just something I've seen, you can take it or leave it. But what I think I have seen about God is oftentimes he gives us these dreams and we start to calculate in our head how it could come to pass. We start to think, okay, this could happen like this, like this, like this. And just to show that he is God, God's like, I'm not going to do it that way. Like, I know that you calculated it. I know that you came up with all the sums and all the things that could make that thing happen. But just because, just to show you that I'm God, I'm not going to do it that way. And then for some reason, he has this way of waiting until it just seems impossible. Like, it could never happen. Like, the first time he appears, Abraham's 75 years old, which is kind of the back of the window, right, of what we think is even possible, what we would even believe, right, to have that. But then God's like, no, no, that's too easy. Let's wait another 25 years. Let's wait till you're 100, and then we'll get this thing going. Then we'll kind of get this plan in motion, right? God is like, let's just wait. I know 75 seems like a stretch, but let's just wait till it's impossible at 100 and then I'll do this thing. So I want you to know you're looking at your natural circumstances because the devil wants you to focus on the natural, not the spiritual, the natural, not the supernatural. The devil wants to get you focused on your circumstances and you're seeing what seem like unchangeable circumstances. What seem like unchangeable things. Focus that it's too big for God. That it's impossible for Him to come through. And the devil wants to whisper that you've got all the data and the details. And you've got all the indicators that your life is over. That he, God could never use you. You have all these things set out. And the devil would love for you to focus on that as we go into the new year. Instead of the promise God has. Unchangeable circumstances. And somewhere in the midst of all the chaos. and the midst of all the pain. Somewhere in there we say, you know what? I'm going to let somebody else dream that dream. It was nice while it lasted. It was a really nice fantasy that I had that God could do something with me. But I'm looking at the stuff around me and I'm going to let somebody else take that. I'm going to let somebody else dream that dream because I don't think it will ever come to pass that God's forgotten about me. And somewhere in there, we begin to take our eyes off it and we lose the dream. Begin to say, well, God has forgotten. Maybe he gave me a picture of it, but it's never coming to pass. And so I'm just going to leave that for somebody else. There's too many indicators that it's not I just want you to know that it's never too late, that it's never too late, that God is calling you to dream again, that God is calling you to take hold of the promise that he has for you, that his hand is still outstretched, that he hasn't turned away to somebody else, that he's still open to you, that he still wants to heal your heart. He still wants to bring you out, that he still has a promise for you, that he still has a purpose for you. And I just want to challenge you to dream again. I want to challenge you to remember the God that we serve. Not to look at your own shortcomings, not to look at your own circumstances, not to look at your own abilities or your own power, but remember the God that you serve. Remember that he is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. I want to challenge you to dream again, but there are three things you have to do, three things Abraham did. If we're going to live this life of faith, if we're going to see the dream come to pass, number one is you're going to have to be willing to wait. You got to be willing to wait because there's a gap between when God gives you the picture and when God fulfills the promise. When it gives you the picture, and here's the principle in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. To be honest, one of my favorite and least favorite verses in the Bible. I'll show you why. We don't want you to become lazy, everybody, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. The writer of Hebrews is writing to them and saying, we don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who in faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Some of you have a promise from God, and you're living in one half of this verse. Let me just tell you, everybody, I have faith, all right? I've got the gift of faith. If you need, I don't know if you know this about me, if you need somebody to pray with you, somebody to believe God with you, I'm your man, baby. I'm with you all the way. I'll believe and I'll pray. I've got the gift of faith. Other people have spiritual giftings of healing, all these things. I've got faith, baby. I've got it. As long as it happens while I'm praying. As long as the promise comes while I'm praying, if the mountain is uprooted and cast to the sea while I'm standing here, I'm like, where's another mountain, baby? We're like, let's get this thing going. I can pray and believe all day long. The thing that trips me up all the time is like I get to the end of my prayer and I'm like, oh, you haven't done it yet. Like, what's what's your deal? Or oh, I get to the end of 21 days of prayer and I'm like, I'm just waiting for everything that I pray for to happen on the 22nd day. I'm just there. I don't know if you've been around me on the 22nd day. I'm just like looking for stuff, right? Like God's going to answer. God's going to bring that while it, if it happens while I'm praying, I've got the gift of faith. But the part that I don't like about this verse is this second part that through faith. I've got that. Thank you, Lord. And patience inherit what has been promised. A lot of you have the promise of God in your life. God has made promises to you. God has made promises in my life that we hold on to, that we write those things down and we reference them. God has made those promises and I'm holding on to them. I've got the faith for them, but it's this patience thing. That God is saying, I have a great plan for your life because we have been trained to be impatient. Everything about our culture has trained us, has molded us to be impatient. When I go to the fast food restaurant... And I make my order right at the little broken speaker. And I make my order and they tell me the total. And I pull up to that window. And with great expectation and hope, I pay for my food. Only to hear the words every time. Would you please pull forward? I'm like, forward? Yeah, would you pull forward? Your order's not ready. We'll bring it out the side door, right? Would you just pull into one of these spots? We'll be with you in just a moment, right? And I know what that means, all right? That means like when we say, like, we'll be back in five minutes after the break. That's what that moment means, all right, everybody? That's what that means. Well, we'll come out sometime. It is, honestly, it's usually only like 120 seconds, right? But that is ruining my life because I am ready for my food. Why couldn't you anticipate me coming? Come on, that's a soapbox. I'll die on another day. All right, everybody. And I'm only in line for like 10 minutes total. But it is just causing everything in my life to be out of whack because we live in an impatient culture. And listen to me, everybody. I've said this before, but we serve a crockpot God in a microwave world, all right? You can jot that down if you're taking notes today. We serve, but we want everything microwaved fast. We want everything. And the Bible is full of stories that we love, right? Everybody loves to read the stories and be like, oh, I see. Well, I don't really understand. And then we flip forward a couple of chapters. Like, okay, okay. I see what God was doing. Or sometimes we flip like half the book forward and we're like, okay, now I see it, God. I'm so happy for those people now. And we love those stories, but nobody wants to live it. Nobody wants to live in the middle of one of those because when you're in the middle of it, you don't see what's happening 40 chapters down the road. You're not seeing those things. It's not revealed to you. God's called us to take a step, to take a step. And so we love these stories in the Bible. I love telling my kids these stories. I don't want to live them. And so many of us, we don't want that patience part of the verse. See, if God puts a big dream inside of your heart, you better be willing to wait. You can't not have patience and live the life of faith. You can't be an impatient microwave type of Christian and live the life of faith because God is working out some things. God's like, man, there's some stuff in you that I've got to fix. There's some stuff in your circumstances that I've got to fix. Some relationships that I've got to move out of the way. Some relationships that I need to bring into your life. There's some things that I need to do. Some stuff that has to happen. There's a reason for the wait. Number two, you've got to be willing to let go. you got to be willing to wait, but you got to be willing to let go. If you're going to pursue the dream then you have to be willing to let go because there are some things that we are all holding on to. There's some stuff that we're holding on to. Some stuff that we won't open our hands for anything and let go of. Because another thing we've been trained in by our culture and by the world is control. We've been trained in impatience, but we've been trained in control. We get to control everything about our lives. We get to control even the ads we see. We get to control the people that we connect with, right? If I don't like what you're saying, block, right? I'll just block you. Just get rid of you. Goodbye, right? If you don't like what you're saying, just goodbye. If I don't like these things, just I just do that. I get to control everything in my life. I can control the temperature in my house. Come on, somebody. But now I have kids, and so I don't even get to do that anymore. But I get to control. I can control everything about my life. And so we are bathed in this lifestyle of control all of the time. But yet with God's plan, we don't get to be in control. We don't get to be in control. God's always testing us. Because remember, it's easy for us to creep up on that throne of our life. It's easy for us to try to take it. Instead of helping God, we start to be God and play God. And we try to take control of our circumstances. So God is testing Abraham. Genesis 22. He says, I want you to take your only son whom you love, Isaac. God is saying, I want you to take the dream that you've waited all of these years for. Now Abraham's a hundred something years old. I want you to take this son, this dream that I put in your heart, this promise that now I'm finally bringing to pass. I want you to take the dream and I want you to go to the region of Moriah and I want you to kill it. God comes to Abraham in the middle of this because Abraham was willing to wait, but now we have to be willing to let go. And he comes to him in the middle of the promise and he says, this dream that you're seeing in front of you, this son that you love, I want you to take him to Moriah and I want you to kill it. I want you to sacrifice it as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. You know, sometimes God will ask you to do things that are counterintuitive to the way that you think the plan should be working out in your life. Things that seem like it's sabotaging your destiny. You think, God, I've lived my whole life to get to this place, to get this opportunity, to get this career move. God, I've worked my whole life to build this relationship, to get into this program. And God says, no, no, I want you to give that up. No, I want you to die to that. I want you to kill that part of the dream. God says these things. I want you to no longer do that because he's asking you this question. Are you worshiping the dream or the author of the dream? Are you worshiping the dream that God gave you or the God that gave it to you? He says somewhere along the way, the thing that you believe God for can become an idol to you. Come on, it's quiet in this church this morning. The thing that God gave you, your marriage can be an idol. Your children can be an idol. Your career can be an idol. Your relationships can become an idol. Your education can be an idol. The money God gave you to bless other people can become an idol in your life. And too often we begin to worship the thing that God gave us instead of the God that gave it to us. We begin to worship the thing instead of the author of the dream. And God said, I want to test your heart, Abraham. I want to see where you're at with your son. I want to know exactly how deep your loyalty lies. Are you willing to die to the dream? Even after it begins to take life. Even after you've waited 25 years for it to come to pass, Abraham. I want to see if you're willing To trust me, it's amazing how easy for some of us it is sometimes in the gap, because some of us live in the gap and it's easy for us to trust God and to wait. But as soon as the hint of the dream starts to come to pass, we begin to see as soon as we start to see it begin to have a glimmer of it could come to life or we see the hint that the dream is about to happen. It's at that point we say, well, I don't need God anymore. I, I needed him to get to this place. And I was willing to wait and to trust him in the gap. But now that it's starting to happen, I think I can carry this thing on my own. And God is just saying, where's your heart? Are you willing to let go? Are you willing to let go? Number three, as we close, we have to be willing to trust God. Abraham takes his son and he builds this altar. And the son looks around. And he's like, dad, we don't have a sacrifice for the altar we don't have a sacrifice we came all this way right and you just forgot to bring the sacrifice and i can't imagine abraham at that moment you ever read these stories like really be there like shaking with tears in his eyes to be able to tell his son son you are the sacrifice like you are you are the sacrifice you ever read these stories like this is this is crazy he ties up his son he puts him on the altar and he raises the knife willing to kill his own son and the bible says in verse 12 the angel appears to him and says don't lay a hand on the boy Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me, your son, your only son. And I read that this week and something jumped out at me. I felt a question the Holy Spirit was asking me. And I believe honestly that he's asking all of us today. Out of this phrase, this little phrase that you have not withheld. You've not withheld anything, Abraham. And the question I'm wrestling with is what are you withholding? What are you withholding? Isn't it amazing how God comes to us with the dream and he starts to make it come to pass. And he says, I need you to wait. But then he starts to bring it. And God begins to show you a picture of what could be. And we say, God, how amazing that is. I'll serve you. But I want to hold on to this. What are you withholding? If I just ask you, what's in your hand that you won't let go of? God, I'll give you my whole life except for my finances. Don't touch my money. God, I'll give you my whole life except for my marriage. God, I'll give you my entire life except for my kids. I'll give you my life except my career. Don't touch that. I've been working hard on that, God, but I won't give that up. God, I'll give you my entire life except for the opportunities that I've got, except for the plans I have for my life. I want to hold on to those. So I'll give you everything else, God, except for that. Don't touch that. What are you withholding? Some of us today, God, I'll give you everything that I've got except for my past. I want to hold on to those things that happened to me. I want to have the right to hold them. I won't drop those. God, God, I'll give you everything I have except for my bitterness. I have a right to have that. I want to hold on to the pain. I want to hold those things because that I believe I have that. So God, I'll give you everything else except for that. What are you withholding? And God comes to Abraham and he says, because you've not withheld anything. God now says, I can trust you. God says, I know that your heart is for me. I know that you'll follow after me because you haven't withheld anything. I just asked you, church, what are we withholding? Because I believe every single one of us has something that we're holding back, something that's sabotaging the dream and the destiny God has for us. Something that we will not let out of our hands. And God is saying, are you willing to let go? Are you willing to trust God? God. Abraham is willing, he's willing to give it all. In fact, in Hebrews, it references the story. It says, even though God said to him to sacrifice his son, and he knew that his promise would come through Isaac, he did it even knowing and believing that God could raise the dead. Abraham had this faith. We need the kind of faith that says, God, I don't understand what you're calling me to do, because I feel like even in following you, it would kill the dream that you put inside of my heart. feel like i got the picture but if i do what you said god it would even kill that dream and god is just saying you're not called to figure it all out you're called to trust and to obey we're called to follow church we're called to trust him we have to live open-handed lives that say it doesn't matter i'm not called to understand i'm called to obey and to live this life of faith open-handed lives that say i'm not holding back anything because i want the dream that you have for us One step at a time, doing everything that I can, giving everything that I have back to the king who gave his life for me. Everything. We're not called to figure it out, church. We're called to trust. And at the moment, verse 13, the moment that he does this, the angel stops his hand. It says he looks up and he saw in the thicket a ram caught by its horns. At that moment, he went over, he takes the ram, he sacrificed it as the burnt offering instead of his son Isaac. And Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. That's Jehovah Jireh. That God will provide. And to this day, it's said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. It says, on that place is Jehovah Jireh. There's a place where we surrender to God and we say, not my will, but yours. There's a moment where we go to God and we say, not the things I'm holding on to, but the things that you want to bring into my life. Because God has a better plan. God has a better thought. God has a better play for your life. But what are we holding on to that's sabotaging the destiny? That's going against the plan. I just want you to know today that you may have given up on the dream. You may have given up on the promise. You may be living in the gap. Or you may not be able to give what you're holding in your hands. But I just want you to know that God has not given up on you. And that he still has a plan for you. And that you can still come back to him. That God can still provide. To this day it's known as where God will provide. And that mountain. That place where Abraham sacrifices that ram. Thousands of years later they build the temple on this mountain. The temple mount is on this spot. And even then, the Jews began to believe, well, this is where God will provide this temple. But I want you to know 2,000 years ago, not more than 1,000 feet from this spot, not at the temple, but right outside the city gates, there was a cross. And the Lamb of God, not the ram that Abraham caught, not the sacrifices in the temple, the Lamb of God, Jesus, was crucified to the cross that God provided once and for all for our sins. That the victory was won at the cross of Calvary. And so I want you to know, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. That God still loves you. He has a plan for your life. But it comes with surrender to what he's already done for you. That you may think the dream is dead, but God is waiting for you. He says, if you surrender your life, you withhold nothing. You let go of those things that you've held on to. That he has a purpose for your life. That he has a promise for you. And I promise you, church, we can dream again. Every head bowed, every eye closed as we pray today. I just want to pray that God would touch you. That God would bring fresh vision and fresh life and a dream of what it could be. That he would give you strength in the gap to endure, to trust, to wait. Before I pray that, I want to pray a prayer though, which some of you are here today and maybe you gave up on God a long time ago. Maybe at one time you had a picture of the dream of what it could be. Maybe at one point you saw a dream of what God could do. Or maybe you never saw that dream, but you gave up on God and you pushed him away because you believed he would never come through for you. And you said, it's great for everybody else, but I, I can't believe that God would love or use me. And throughout this journey, throughout this time, you've pushed God away and you've tried to be your own God in your life. You've tried to take care of everything on your own, set the plan and the process, and you've tried to do it all yourself. And if we're honest with each other this morning, it never ends up very well, does it? Life is weary and life is hard and it drags you down. You begin to find yourself in a place where you feel like God is a million miles away. If you find yourself in that place, you just need his healing touch. You need God to touch you again. But I want you to know it starts with a prayer of surrender. A prayer of letting go of your own devices, letting go of the things you hold in your own hands, the things that you've tried to do. It involves letting go and surrendering to the plan that he has. And I just want to pray with you where you're at, that we can surrender our lives to him with just a prayer today. That we can give our lives to Jesus. And you say, well, who is Jesus to me? Jesus is the Lamb of God. The Lamb I talked about that was sacrificed outside the city gates on the cross. Jesus died for your sins. So that we didn't have to sacrifice a ram or a goat every single day, every single time. We didn't have to go to the temple. Jesus, once and for all, paid the price for our sins, the perfect Lamb of God. And he died on the cross and was buried in the tomb. But three days later, he rose again so that anyone, anyone, and that includes you, can call on the name of Jesus and be saved. That is, salvation promise is to anyone. That he came for you. That he died for you, that he now rose and holds the keys of hell and of the grave. And that he promises that he has good works for you to do in your life. That he has a plan for your life and promises for your life if you'll surrender to him. Let today be the day that you come home. Today be the day that you make that decision. No one else is looking around. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. If you want to make that decision today, I just want to pray with you not going to embarrass you. I'm not looking to make you come to the front or stand up. I just want to pray to connect you with Jesus. If you say, that's me, I want to pray that prayer. I can give you the words. You just need to say them and you need to mean and surrender with your own heart. So come on, church, let's pray with them this prayer. No one prays alone. Say these words, dear Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins. I repent. I believe that you died on the cross and I believe that you rose again and I make you the Lord of my life. I give the things that I'm holding on to and I surrender to you in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for our entire church, God. Father, that your word promises that you have good plans for every person here, Lord. For those that are suffering today, God, that maybe expectations haven't played out the way that they thought they should. For those that are suffering from doubt that tries to creep into every part of their life. God, from those who have suffered through trials and adversities, God. God, the things that have bombarded their hearts this year, Father. Things that have come against them, Lord, that have tried to choke out the dream and the picture that you have for their life. Or maybe circumstances, Father, that they see around them that they could never possibly face. God, I pray for them right now. Begin to revive the dream. Help us to dream again, Lord. God, we thank you that you're resurrecting dreams in our heart. God, we thank you that you're resurrecting the things that you've called us to. Father, we call to life dead dreams today. Lord, we believe and we dream again that you could still do incredible things in our lives. God, we believe your promise for us. And we'll give you all the glory and all the praise when we see it come to pass. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said, amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we put our hands together for what God has done today? A couple of things quickly before you go today. If you prayed that prayer of surrender, if you prayed that prayer of surrender to Christ, I would just encourage you right now, before you leave, text the word SAVE to 66599. 6659. We just shot a quick video that we just want to give you about your next steps in your salvation journey. Some of the next steps as you begin this faith journey, go ahead and text that to that number. I promise we don't save your number. We'll never text you or call you again. Just want to get you that information about what to do next in your journey with Christ. Everybody else, guys, have a blessed New Year's celebration this week. We'll see you next Sunday for kick off our 21 days of prayer. Be blessed.